0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, it's good to be here with all of you. Uh, my name is Matt Nickerson. I'm lead pastor here. That was Rhett, uh, our, our lead worship guy and Amos. Didn't they just do a fantastic job? Don't you love our team? Man, so blessed. And so, i got three little boys. Uh, My oldest is eight, my middle is six, about to be seven, and my youngest is three and a half, which makes me feel really old. And uh, it makes me feel older when I I threw my back out yesterday, and both my mom and my wife separately say, well, you're in your 40s now. (laughs) Well, we were friends before too, so anyway. (laughs) I had this profound conversation with my middle son last night. Um, One of my friends here from Kingsway, his name is Bobby Williams. You guys know Bobby's a great guy. Look out on HGTV, you might see him soon. And uh, anyway, he he gave me this Buckeye bed. It's a bunk bed. Because of our ceilings, though, like when you lay down, there's like a foot. Between you and, the, and one night, we had family over, I slept in it, and I forgot, and I stretched in the middle of the night, and I punched the ceiling, scared me to death. But I'm laying up there with my son yesterday, and we're just playing, and so we're just kind of, you know, they literally set up this room, it's like it's our toy room, and I'm going in, I'm shopping for their toys. And so it was just fun, and now we're climbing up, there we're being boys, and we're jumping off the top of the bunk and doing crazy things. And we had one of those conversations, parents, you know, and talk about, you can't arrange for it. Like, you can't plan it, it just happens, and my son looks at me and says something profound something that I'm like wow you're you're 6 Now, before I can tell you what he said, I have to set it up or it won't really be as profound to you. So when this same little boy was roughly three or four years old, so a few years ago, he was having a really hard time at night, like many kids do. I don't know if he saw something. We don't let him watch scary things. There's always commercials during football games, especially around October or Halloween. I hate it because I'm like, I don't want him seeing that junk and it's right there. So I don't know what he saw, but all of a sudden, he couldn't go to sleep at night, and he would wake up many times throughout the night, and he would come in our room, and he would ask to sleep in our bed, and I'm thinking, this isn't good long-term. So I asked him what happened, and he wouldn't tell me, wouldn't tell me. So I would take him, and we eventually put two boys in the same room in bunk beds because they were kind of both having the same trouble, and I would stay in the room until they fell asleep, and I would sneak out of the room. And um, when I would do this, though, like, he still was anxious, I'm like, what are you so afraid of? He's like, monsters. Like, there's no such thing as monsters. He said, yes, they are. I'm like, son, I love you. You're three. I know more than you. And he said, I don't believe you. (laughs) We may have a problem here. I said, well, son, even if there are monsters, I'm here. I'm like 10, 20 feet away in bed. I'll take him out. What if you don't get here soon enough? You yell, I will be here, and I will make sure they don't hurt you. Our doors are all locked. And he said, I don't trust you. I hurt. Like You're short and ugly, so just kidding. (laughs) Is this recorded? Can he hear this someday? So then I tried the spiritual route. Well, God is here and God's bigger than any monsters. And even if there are monsters, God made them. Now, no matter how hard I pushed, I could not convince him. And this went on for months, months, maybe even went into years, I can't remember. It took a long, long time, and he would still wake up in the middle of the night. Well, I finally, when he got old enough to really verbalize what happened, he still remembers there was one night he woke up in the middle of the night, and from outside the side of his, you know, he's, got, he's on the bottom bunk, so he's kind of closed in on three sides, but outside that one side, he looked up, and there was a, look like a face on the ceiling staring at him. It was a shadow, obviously, but he didn't know that. He didn't understand it. We, at some point, put a nightlight in the room, and the nightlight might have actually been creating the problem. We took that nightlight up, put a different one in. It didn't matter. So we literally, at one point, had to close in almost every side with blankets, except for one spot where he could get out if he needed to, but the rest of them would keep any of the monsters from seeing him. And no matter what I did, I could not get him over this irrational fear. We tried talking about monsters and, and what we would do, and, and we came up with like a fight plan and how he would fight a monster. I mean, I've tried every, you name it, I tried it to give this little guy confidence, but he just didn't trust me. We're laying in that top bunk, different bunk, different room, but yesterday, and out of nowhere, he says to me, Hey, dad, guess what? What's up, buddy? We're kind of calming down now. It's later in the evening, like 8.30 or so. It's about bedtime. And he says, there's no such thing as monsters. I said, yeah, I know. And he said, no, I believe there's no such thing as monsters now. I said, cool, buddy. Didn't even dawn on me where he was going. He said, I'm sorry I didn't trust you before. I'm like, it's okay. You're not ugly either. (laughs) he looks just like me so you know (laughs) something profound happened and what's really crazy is my six-year-old now almost seven he goes dad um have I ever told you that I said that you don't think there's monsters he said no that I'm sorry that I didn't trust you I said, no, but but I just want you to know, I forgave you the moment you said it. He said, yeah, but I want you to hear me say it. I'm sorry. I was like, this is my six-year-old. Like his mama's doing something right. (laughs) Now, what's profound about that little conversation is I believe that we all, me included, we all have irrational fears about what might just go wrong in this life. And those irrational fears about what might happen to us if, fill in the blank, drive us in this life. So we don't live our life with confidence. We don't live our life in strength. We don't live our life in the belief that God is for us, God is with us, God is in us. Instead, those little irrational voices... That tell us you don't have what it takes, you aren't good enough, you aren't going to be able to get it done, and what if, by the way, make us live our lives in certain ways? In my belief, and I don't mean for this to to offend you, but I do mean for this to maybe get your attention. So it might sting a little bit. I believe that it's offensive to God. And I believe it's offensive to God because we have uh, brought God down from his high and lofty place, is what the Bible tells us, and we have man-sized him so that we can wrap our arms around him, control him, and maybe even get him to do what we want. But then God blows our socks off. He does something totally irrational in our mind, something that seems completely impossible, undoable, can't get it done, and we want to put him in a little box and go, I can control this. And God's going, see, I'm so much bigger than the box. The biggest box you can create, just go ahead and blow that sucker up. I could do immeasurably more than that. And that's what I want to look at today as we open up the book of Ephesians. So go ahead with me, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. I don't care how you get there digitally. You can use our app, or you can just follow along on the screen if you don't, can't get Wi-Fi or you don't know how to use an app or don't have a space phone, whatever it is. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 I'm not going to have time to go back every week and say, and this is what we said the first week, and this is what we said the second week. So I really want to encourage you, if you're not here, I know so many of you come maybe once every couple of weeks or a couple times a month. I mean, you're missing out. Because next month, when we look at the middle of Ephesians, where Paul calls us to holiness and he calls us to unity That's all built on the foundation I'm laying today, and so you're going to show and be like, "Wow, this God is just a God of rules." No, He's not just a God of rules. The rules come out of this loving, secure relationship. So, what we looked at last week was that we are all looking for looking for security. We're all looking to be secure, and what we found out is that we are secure in Christ. Now, let's take a look at that, just kind of real quick, as we bridge in today's message. Ephesians chapter one, verse twelve. God's purpose was that we Jews, pause, Paul's a Jewish person, he's writing the book, who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, pause, pretty much there's two groups in the Bible, Jews, Gentiles, that's pretty much the two big categories. And so he's saying, first the Jews, now the Gentiles, you have both in the church in Ephesus. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. When and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, don't miss what Paul's saying, but in essence, what Paul has said is when you placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Savior? I don't know what that is. Savior, you were moved from death to life. You were moved from lost to found, beggar to ruler. This is a complete reversal of identity. You went from desperate to whole broken to fulfilled. This is the gospel in essence. And all of this came by grace through faith that as you place your hope in his finished work on the cross, something significant happened. And he tells you what happened. You were given the Holy Spirit. Now, someday I want to do a whole series on the Holy Spirit. It's not for today, but I want to give you a foretaste of glory, all right? The Holy Spirit in the Bible is a game changer. The Holy Spirit is part of what we call a trinity. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is God in three, three in one. It's a whole conversation that I've talked about many times. Don't have time to go real deep today, but what you need to understand is if, if you were to go all the way back to the garden if you were to study the garden of Eden before the fall came what you would see is the garden of Eden is the temple of God God hold, ha, holds his high council meetings in the garden of Eden but all of that gets wrecked when Adam and Eve choose not to trust God but instead to trust the enemy you think about what the enemy tempted them to say or to do. He tempted them by saying, does God really have what's best for you in mind? I mean, he told you not to eat of this fruit. Did you know the reason he doesn't want you, Eve, is because you will become like him, the serpent said. Now, the whole point of that testing, that temptation, is that it was somehow tempting or testing to Adam and Eve to believe that God didn't actually have their best interests in mind. And as long as you can lodge that doubt in their heart, then he could walk them down a path of disobedience and say, I believe that we have all kinds of those doubts in our hearts about who God is, what he intends to do with this world, whether or not we can trust him to have our best interests in mind. Is he really for us? And once they made the decision to disobey God, it was a game changer because they were removed from the garden and were told an angel with a flaming sword was placed outside the garden to guard them from going back in. They were not welcomed into the presence of God, into that high council again. This is a place where God established his rule and his authority. Now what happens is you read the rest of your Bible and that's not the end of the story, praise God. The good news is that God keeps coming nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer. He does it through Noah. He does it through, uh, he does it through Abraham. He does it through Moses. He does it through David. He does it through the prophets. He keeps getting closer and closer until Jesus shows up on the scene, and it's a little bit, a little bit like the garden, though it's a broken version, because there's no Shalom. But God has showed back up on the scene And he's now on earth with people Again dwelling among us And this is mind boggling to the disciples Read John 14, 15, 16 Because Jesus says I gotta go And they say what do you mean you gotta go Like you're setting up a kingdom You're about to reign and rule He's like "No, no no I need to go And it's better for you that I go How in the world Jesus Could it be better for us for you to go Well because if I go I'm sending one after me Who's better for you than I am Who could be better for us than God in the flesh? God in the flesh. Now, if you don't get what that means, see, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside those who trust in Christ. So it's no longer God with us. It's now God in us. And something even more profound happened at the moment you came to place your faith in Christ than what happened even in the garden, I would argue. This is why Paul writes this. Take a look at the next verse now, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This is huge. One of the greatest ways that you will grow in faith is to gain more understanding of who God is. And by the way, you will spend the rest of your life barely scratching the surface of the depths of God. Good news is you have eternity to keep going, and you'll probably need it. Now, I have friends I went to Bible college with way smarter than me. They went and got their doctorate. Many of them teach at Bible colleges now. And when I have questions, I call them. And one day, we were going through Revelation a couple years ago. I called one of my buddies who's a Bible college prof. He's like a Greek genius, and he's an expert in Luke, and uh, he, who wrote Luke and Acts. And I called him and asked him a question. He said, I don't know, man. That's Revelation. I studied Luke and Acts. I'm like, you're a doctor. You're teaching a Bible college. What do you mean you don't know? And here's the point, he literally has spent the last decade reading, I don't know how many thousands of books studying Luke and Acts. He's barely scratched the surface of biblical wisdom because he spent his life on that topic. You will spend the rest of your life barely scratching the surface of a God big enough to create the universe with a word from his mouth. But what monsters lurk in the darkness that keep us from trusting him? I tried that with my boys one night. I tried to uh, get them to not be afraid of monsters by once they didn't think I was big enough or strong enough or that the monster would overpower me. I tried to get them to get a glimpse of God. I started showing them like Louis Giglio's videos, How Great Is Our God, Go YouTube, it's fantastic. And I started showing them stuff on like space, and the breadth of these stars and the magnitude of the power of God and we study insects and we, we, there's websites you can go to that will show you how big like the biggest thing we know of is and how small the smallest thing we know of is and God's created all of that. If he could do all that, you think he could protect you from monsters? But deep down there was still a trust issue. There was a brokenness there that just wouldn't allow them to get over the hump. I don't know, I, I don't know. I, I, I know what I experienced. I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than your worst experience. And there may be no thing I say more profound today than that for some of you. Just hear it again, please. God is bigger than your worst experience. And the question is not is God for you? Is God with you? Does God want to live in you and through you? The question is will you let God heal the wounds? Will you let God build back the trust? Will you step into a life of faith that may be terrifying and dangerous and exciting all at the same time? Because until you're ready to answer yes, you're gonna sit on the, either on the outside looking in at faith or you're gonna sit on the fringe of faith wondering why others are so bold. Take a look at what Paul says next. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light I love that analogy, so that you can understand the confident hope he, this is God, has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And don't miss this. See, I talk a lot about this, but here in America, we have a broken understanding of hope. I mean, I hope my kids graduate. I hope my kids grow up one day, get a degree, get a nice job, meet a nice spouse, have a nice family, I hope I don't get cancer like my mom did. I hope my car lasts just a couple more years. Boy, I sure hope we pay off this debt one day. I sure hope the Browns win more than one game next year. (laughs) See, hope is broken, because I don't have a lot of confidence in that one. Now, the thing about all of these things we list as hope is we're not sure how it's gonna turn out. And if you have a lot of hope, it's because you have a certain amount of confidence, right? Like, you Patriot fans, <clears throat> I'm just kidding, my son's a Patriot fan, I'm praying for him. One day he'll trust me again. But anyway, <laughs> you Patriot fans have a certain amount of hope, right? If you've got a great quarterback, you've got a great coach, you know that you've built a good team, and you've got a track record of trust there, but there's no guarantee they're going to win anything. I mean, they could get to the Super Bowl and be down three or four touchdowns and lose, or down three or four touchdowns and win. But there's a certain amount of hope. I got like 90% chance, hope. I'm feeling pretty good about the way the offseason went that they might be able to get it done this year. Couple injuries, it's a game changer. Not sure. See, the way the Bible speaks of hope is it's always connected to the cross, the finished work of Jesus. The hope is absolutely secure in what he did, not in your ability to do more. I've been sharing the gospel with this um, new friend of mine, and he's, he's struggling with faith. Right now, he's pursuing the Mormon church, and he's not all the way in, and I'm opening, I'm praying that God will flood his heart and his life with light. I think he's trying to do the same thing with me, but um, I keep trying to explain this very point to him. And he said to me the other day something to the effect of, uh, as long as I keep trying harder, that's what it's all about. You know, I don't have to get it right every time because God's grace, but as long as I try harder, that's what God cares about. I'm like, you know, the difference is, you know, as a Christian, I do try harder, but I I try harder from a place of confidence. I'm absolutely confident, absolutely confident that on my last breath, I'm going to heaven. I am absolutely confident that when Jesus returns, if should it be before I die, that I'm going to be called up yonder, whatever that means. I'm going to go with him. I'm absolutely confident. My eternity is secure. And because of that, I have, Paul says here, a rich and glorious inheritance. And what that means is simply this. See, think about an inheritance. Upon death, you are given a certain amount of promise, a blessing. The Holy Spirit in this verse, we're told he's our guarantee. And this isn't like some slimy salesman who says, oh, I guarantee you, this will be great. It'll last you forever. And you're not sure when you pull off the lot if it really will. This is God saying, go ahead and put my stamp on this. I'm backing this up with my name, my power, my authority, my reputation. You have confident hope. I am coming back for you one day, and you will go with me. You really want to blow your mind? Christ is your inheritance, and you are his. See, his faithfulness to the cross all the way through to the resurrection earned him you. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. His faithfulness through the hardship, through the pain, through the confusion, through the turmoil has earned him you. And he loves you. So he's not going to fail you. See, when you have hope that your eternity is secure, when you have hope that God's not gonna drop the ball, when you have hope that no matter what happens, a glorious inheritance is waiting for you on the other side of this life, all of that hope leads you to a profound understanding of what really is inside you, which is what Paul says in the next verse. Look at verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him or believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand and the heavenly realms. Then go back to verse 19. Man, I don't want you to miss this. What Paul is trying to say is, when you have a confident hope that your eternity is secure, it gives you the freedom to live this life in power. Are you with me? The word for power here is the Greek word hyperbolon, if that's, if I'm saying it right. I'm probably saying it wrong because I didn't do well in Greek class. Don't tell anybody in my church. And um, this is where we get our word hyperbole. Are there any English majors in here? Okay, so hyperbole is when you say something in the most extreme version in order to make a point. For instance, this is terrible for instance, this is why I'm not an English major. Um, if, for instance, if your wife makes food and it's fresh off the, the stove, and let's just say she made some sort of steak or meat, and you cut it and you put a bite in your mouth and it burns your tongue and you go, ha! Ah, this thing's as hot as lava. Is it really as hot as lava? Some of you are like, you ever tried my wife's cooking? No. What is the reason of the analogy? You're, you're overstating something to make a point. Well, that's kind of where we get this idea. It's an idea of kind of like exaggeration. Well, this word literally means to go over or to go beyond something. The whole context of what Paul's trying to say is the power that is in you through the Holy Spirit is so over and beyond what you can even dream up or imagine. I mean, he literally says that later in the book. That God wants to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. So dream big. Dream big. But I can't. Why? I'm afraid. Let's just make this really practical for a minute. What's holding some of you back from forgiving that person who's asked your forgiveness. I'm afraid if I forgive them that they'll do it again. What's holding some of you back from going and having a really hard confrontational conversation with that person you love but you're afraid to put the, you'll push them away if you go and confront them? What's holding some of you back from bringing that private, sin that's in darkness and it's festering and it's growing and it's gaining power in your life as it's squelching out the spirit in your life and his work that he wants to do in you, but you're so afraid, so afraid of what others might think or say. What's keeping some of you from really going all in on God? You have heard his voice tell you it's time to lay down and trust him and follow him and it might mean leaving your job. It might mean doing something profound, starting a ministry, but you know it's gonna cost you money, it's gonna cost you time. And the thing holding all of us back from all of the dreams that God has placed in our hearts, all of the promptings of his spirit, is that one voice in our head that says, I don't trust you. I'm not sure you'll get it done. I'm not sure you're gonna follow through. And even if you do, let's just say, God, I know that you will. I'm so afraid might hurt along the way. And so I know what I'll do. I'll just put up some blankets. I'll hunker down here. And I'll stay safe. And I'll tell you, rarely has anybody followed the Holy Spirit and felt safe. Remember the great quote by Aslan? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe... One of the best lines C.S. Lewis ever came up with. Is he safe? Talking about God. Oh no child. He's not safe. But he is good. See at the end of the day. It's not a matter of. Will God make our lives. Healthier. Happier. Wealthier. At the end of the day. The question is. Do I trust God to be good? even when things aren't going the way that I thought they should? Do I trust God with my plans, even when I'm not sure what the right next step is? Do I trust God to be bold enough to just step out in faith and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't even necessarily know why you're doing it, but I am convinced you're telling me to do this. So therefore, God, I'm going to listen and obey and just follow. Because that's the kind of faith that God is looking for. It's the kind of faith that the Holy Spirit has placed inside you to fuel, to empower, to equip, and do immeasurably more greatness than you could even ask or imagine. What would happen if just for a minute you took off your sunglasses, you took off your blinders, you took off all those fears and anxieties, and what if just for a moment you opened your eyes to the King of heaven, seated on his throne, saying, I got this, and I've got you. What would you do? What would you do? If you knew with absolute certainty that you couldn't fail, what would you start? What would you stop? What would you go after? What would you give your heart to, your life to? Is there anything in you that stirs and moves and makes you say, ah, I don't want to get to my last day and wonder what if. So what if you actually trusted him now? Because the spirit of eternity is in you. And take a look at what Paul says next about this. Verse 21. Verse 21. Now he, this is Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. So all, most of your excuses are gone. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for what reason? For what purpose? For the benefit of the church. So now everything and all of creation is subject to his authority, sovereignty, domain, everything. Get this, everything. There is literally nothing outside of his sovereign power. Look at the next verse, verse 23. And, don't miss this, the church is his body. It is made full and complete, by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. I don't, want to, I don't want to go beyond what I believe Paul is saying in Ephesians, but I want to make an application that may dance on that line, because I want to get you to dream for a moment. Look at this. So he is the authority over anything. Okay, Are there aliens anywhere in the universe? I personally don't think so. i will be glad to shake their thing, hand, whatever they have, if I'm wrong one day. Even if there is in I'm wrong, he's their leader. Now, he's taken all of his authority, all of his power, all of his influence, and he's placed it in you. And you are his church, which is his body here on earth remember last week if you weren't here you really should go and listen we talked a little bit about luke 15 and in luke 15 there's a son who goes to his daddy and says dad i don't care about you i don't love you give me my share of the inheritance though you're still alive in other words you could die for all i care but i want what's mine when you die and instead of the dad backing him kicking him off the property and saying get out of here you're no son of mine the dad says okay and he gives him his portion of the inheritance and the son goes off to a foreign land and he wastes it, he loses it all and at that exact time when he loses it a great famine comes and now he's desperate he's working with the pigs and he's just hungry for even the slop that they're eating but he can't fill his belly and he comes up with a plan I know what I'll do I'll go home to daddy and I'll say I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you just make me a slave What's going on? He knows he can't come home. He's not, he hasn't any right at home anymore. His identity has changed completely. He can't carry the family name, but he's desperate. So he goes home and he's thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll work for him. I'll make him love me. I'll put myself back in at least good graces. It may take me the rest of my life to earn back his favor. And when he shows up, he finds out that the father, had favor for him all along. And the father runs to him, grabs his son, embraces him. And then the most profound things in the text happen. He puts the robe on his back. The best robe, the finest robe, we're told. This is dad's robe. He puts the sandals on his feet. See, slaves don't wear sandals, they're bare feet. But my son, he wears sandals. And he puts a ring on his finger. And as I told you last week, the ring represents a signet ring. A signet ring would be worn for authority and decision-making power. So the son could literally make a business deal with someone else, and they have the authority, the power of the father. When they sign documents, it's as if they're signing with the father's approval already. This is part of the analogy of what Jesus is trying to say, and I don't want you to miss it. When the Holy Spirit is inside you, you have the authority, the power, and the responsibility of heaven. Because as Spider-Man said, with great power comes great responsibility. And everybody knows Spider-Man's a prophet. But anyway. So church, what happened to us? I don't don't just mean us king's way, though that would certainly apply. What happened to us? At what point did we stop trusting that God actually had the power over all rulers, all authorities, and monsters in this world? When did we stop trusting that the king of the universe has our lives in his hands? Because I, I, I wonder... If 2,000 people really believed that the king of the universe was not just for them, but in them. And he has placed in them his spirit with his authority and his power. What ground of the enemy might we take back? Because that's really what this is all about. At the end of the day, this is a real battle we live in. And we get one life to live it, one I love my mom. Um, she's taught me so much, along with my dad as well. When I was back home visiting a couple weeks ago, I remember saying to my mom, Mom, they're my kids. I got them. Go take a nap. You're tired. It's okay. And she said, I don't want to sleep my life away. I mean, she's gone through two bouts of cancer, radiation and chemo, and she's tired at times. I think she probably slept for four days, or whatever, after we left. But I'm like, Mom, go take a nap. She's like, "Oh." I, I You're here for a week. I want to soak in every moment. You get one life to live. And at the last day, on your last breath with us, today or decades from now, it's over. That's it. And see, the Bible says, when our last day comes, will come a judgment day. And when we will stand before God in judgment, we will literally hear him say one of two things, away from me, I never knew you, or well done, well done, good and faithful servant. you've been faithful, with a few things now let me put you in charge of many things when jesus tells that story part of what he's trying to get to is this simple analogy i'm asking for you to trade me and whatever moment you come to faith whether you have 50 years left 60 years left or whether you have 50 days left i'm asking you to trade me whatever you have from this moment on for eternity sound like a good deal well, sounds like a phenomenal deal. If you're in investing and somebody says, I'm going to give you unlimited money if you'll just give me whatever amount of money you have now. Uh, let me think about it. Are you kidding me? Where's the dotted line? The hard part is we have to trust in what is unseen. Jesus says the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, who's was our guarantee, the Holy Spirit, he's like the wind, He moves where he wants, he does what he wants and you you really don't know where he's going next or where he's coming from and sometimes it's so terribly frightening. Jesus didn't say that, I'm just telling you. That's my experience. It's terribly frightening because I don't know where the spirit's going next. I don't know what he's gonna do next. My only job isn't to know the full plan but to trust and to be obedient. I think somebody wrote a song on that we used to sing once. Trust him and obey him. And leave the planning and the coordinating and the organizing and the next steps to him. Now, does that mean you won't plan and you won't make a step and you won't do something? Well, of course not. You will and you'll do it with his authority. But when he says move, you move. When he says jump, we jump. When he says go, we go. That's another song somebody ought to write. Man. And I want to be a part of a community who's so ready to respond to the voice of God in our lives. So let me just ask you a question, church, and if you're visiting with us, it still applies to you today. I just wanna ask you this. If you knew knew that you could do anything, anything at all, and not fail, what would you do? What would you do? Now maybe part of what's making the question confusing is maybe you don't understand failure, and I've had to spend a lot of time wrestling with what it means to fail. Let me just say this. Failure doesn't mean things don't go the way you planned it or when you planned it. We are in a far better place today with this church and with our school, than we've been in a long time. And that came through a lot of pain. It's a poor decision making, it's a poor leadership, and people getting angry, and all kinds of stuff. We are in a far better place. I praise God. Yesterday, we had a phenomenal work day. Tons of people showed up and clean classrooms and carried things, and I threw my back out because I'm old, and it was great. Um, <laughs> It was great. It was great. I'm so thankful for where we are today. By God's grace, by God's grace, you can't fail. How do I know you can't fail? What's the absolute worst that you could do? Die? You just get to go home sooner. See, if the only thing holding you back is the fear of what if, then you aren't yet tapped into the Spirit's power in your life. Let me just add one more thing to this question. Not just what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail and you knew absolute confidence Jesus is coming back by the end of the year? Like sometime between Christmas and New Year's, you don't know the day or the hour because that wouldn't be biblical, but you know it's coming. Like he came down, literally it was like on TV, everybody knew, right? Would that change what you would do at all? Would you have regret that you didn't do it three years ago? Would you have any angst in your heart, in your mind that made you say, oh man, why? Now I only have six months left, why did I wait? Because see, if that's what's going on in your heart and you know that you're about to face your maker and you know that you cannot fail, you know that he's for you, he's with you, he's in you, then go get it because no one knows the day or the hour and it might be tomorrow or it might be 10 years from now or it might be 100 years from now, but don't let fear whisper your name. Let God in heaven say, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. I just want to show you one last verse. Actually, I think it's two. The church in Ephesus gets launched in Acts chapter 19. And Paul's going around and he's teaching and he's preaching, but the gospel isn't going anywhere really Until this, look at verse 11. If you don't have it open, it'll be on the screen. God gave Paul the power, the exact same word used in Ephesians, exact same. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Really quick teaching. This does not mean you should sneeze and go to visit the hospital later, okay? I am not saying that therefore God wants to do this kind of thing in you. What I'm saying is, in order for God to get the job done in Ephesus, he did something extraordinary in Paul. Now, we know from Hebrews and other passages that miracles in the apostles were to give them credibility so people would listen to their message, Okay, so the Holy Spirit may not do that miraculous kind of thing in you today. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. I just know the same power that made a handkerchief heal people is the same power living in you today. The problem isn't whether the Holy Spirit's powerful enough. The problem is whether you trust him to get it done. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. What job? Whatever one he's leading you to. Well what happened if you took off the fear, replaced it with faith. If you get nothing else today, I want you to get this, all right? I believe with all my heart. I want this to stick with you. God let this stick in our hearts. Infinite hope, infinite hope unleashes immeasurable power. Infinite hope unleashes immeasurable power. I'm gonna say it again. Infinite hope unleashes immeasurable power. Church, I'm gonna have you say with me. If you're visiting with us today, it's weird you out. Don't worry, we'll come back next. We can do something else weird. No big deal, all right? (laughs) Say it with me now, church. Infinite hope unleashes immeasurable power. Yeah, the question is, do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Because God's just looking for a few men, a few women, that are gonna go sold out to him. So I'm gonna pray over you and I'm gonna ask our communion service to go ahead and go. They're gonna prep communion real quick. Communion today is your chance to interact with God. I'm gonna pray, God, would you speak something profound? Would you whisper something into our lives right now? God, would you stir something in, uh, something that we can't let go of until we fulfill it, Father, for you? I'm gonna pray that God does that in you. I'm just going to pray that you surrender because those fears are going to scream loud. Now listen, if you have never received Jesus Christ, if you've never gone into the waters of baptism like the three here today, and I think there's two next service, praise God. And today is your day, and we want to talk to you about Jesus and baptism tell you what, at some point before the service is over, you just come over here to my left, your right. We'll have some people underneath this, this screen right here. You just meet them and say, I don't even know what it means, but I'm ready to go all in with God. Maybe I'm ready to be baptized. I don't know. I got questions. We have answers. Let's pray. Father God, give us that infinite hope, Father. Help us to trust you. God, I don't I don't know what it took for my son to finally get it that his daddy is for him, is with him, and is literally going to lay down his life to protect him. But God, I thank you for getting my son's heart. And God, I pray for every single one of us because sometimes we question whether or not our heavenly daddy, our heavenly father, our Abba really is going to protect us, really is going to care for us. Can we really take bold steps? And God, I pray, open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we could hear all that you have in store for those who believe in you. Father, help us not be afraid of the enemy. We live in his battleground, but we've got the king, the king of eternity on our side. We can't lose. God, give us resources. Give us vision. Give us dreams. Give us insight. Give us passion. That, God, we might go take back ground that the enemy has stolen and reclaim it for you. And, Father, let that start in our hearts, in our surrender. In Jesus' name.